Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Maxar Technologies Q4 2020 conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press a star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Jason Gursky, President of Investor Relations and Corporate Treasurer. Thank you. Please go ahead, sir. Great. Good afternoon, and thanks, uh, Operator. Welcome to our fourth quarter earnings call. I'm joined today by the company's Chief Executive Officer, Dan Jablonski, and its Chief Financial Officer, Biggs Porter. Both will make some opening remarks, after which we're going to open up the line for your questions. Uh, we're shooting to wrap up the call in about an hour. Before we get started, I'll refer listeners to the accompanying slides for today's presentation, which can be found on the company's website, maxar.com, in the invest, uh, investor events and presentation section of the site. Once there, please turn to slide two, where I'd like to remind you that part of today's discussion, including responses to various questions, may contain forward-looking statements which represent the company's estimates, future plans, objectives, and expected performance at today's date. These statements are based on current assumptions that the company believes are reasonable, but are subject to a wide uh, range of uncertainties and risks that could lead actual results to differ materially from the forward-looking information. You referred to the advisory regarding forward-looking statements contained in our quarterly earnings releases, earnings call slide decks, and the company's most recent MD&A section found in our Form 10-K, which is available online under the company's CDAR profile at CDAR.com, under the company's EGAR profile at scc.gov or on the company's website at maxr.com. As we get started, I'd like you to now turn to slide three in the deck. And with that, I'll turn the, uh, the discussion over to Dan. Dan, go ahead. Thanks, Jason, and good afternoon, everyone. I appreciate you joining us for a review of our fourth quarter and full year results. Before we get started, I'd like to congratulate NASA and JPL on the successful landing of the Perseverance rover on Mars. As you know, Maxar has provided robotic arms on six missions to the Red Planet, and we are extremely proud to be part of this one as well. We have a long and storied history of working with NASA, and we're very excited about the work we're doing today with Artemis, Perseverance, OSAM-1, and Psyche, and look forward to many decades of future missions with NASA. Please turn to slide four of the accompanying presentation for a discussion of the key highlights from 2020. A big story of the year, of course, was the global pandemic. I've spoken about its impact on the company and our stakeholders quite a bit in the past, and we've got a fair amount of disclosure in our filings. What I'd say at this point is that I'm really proud of the way our team's powered through. We remain focused on protecting our workforce while producing the products and solutions our partners need to complete their critical missions. I'm pleased to report, consistent with every report we've made so far, that all Maxar locations continue to remain operational through a combination of work from home and certain key personnel working on site. I remain encouraged by the tremendous efforts of Maxar team members to driving mission success. These efforts helped drive 6% top-line growth and 16% adjusted EBITDA growth in 2020, excluding the effects of the burndown from the enhanced view deferred revenue. 
a solid outcome given where we all were back in March of 2020. One of my top priorities since taking the helm of the company has been to position both Earth intelligence and space infrastructure for sustained growth over the medium to longer term. And this year's performance is a positive proof point that we're making progress. In space infrastructure, we continued our re-engineering efforts and reorganization to align authority and accountability across my leadership team. As part of this effort, we developed a new business capture process under our global field operations organization that leverages robust mission architecture support provided by our technology teams. We also placed new talent in leadership roles, in particular software, software development, mission architecture, and business development through a combination of new hires and internal moves from Earth Intelligence. Finally, we also continue to develop financial systems and processes to support CAS and FAR compliance, a key enabler in our pursuit of further diversifying the business into military and intelligence programs with the U.S. government. In Earth Intelligence, our operational teams ended the year successfully, meeting or exceeding the performance requirements of our service level agreement for the Enhanced View follow-on contract for a 22nd consecutive month. Over the course of the Enhanced View contract, we've met the demanding customer requirements and impressive 119 out of 124 months. This speaks volumes about our reliability, quality, and our resilience, even during a global pandemic. As we prepare for the next phases of the Enhanced View program, our ongoing performance is a compelling demonstration of our track record and the consistent value and continuity we deliver. Importantly, we also saw continued growth in usage on our platforms. Global EGD now has more than 400,000 total users. GNOME has grown to over 3,500 users, and SecureWatch has passed 200 customers. These statistics demonstrate the growing value add that our data and insights bring to our government and commercial customers around the globe. Overall, I'm pleased with the financial performance of the company this year. Fourth quarter adjusted EBITDA came in a little bit lower than I would have liked as some of, of our Earth Intelligence orders slipped into early 2021, and we had higher than anticipated stock compensation given a strong performance of our shares through December. Biggs, Biggs will go into uh, more details in a moment, but hopefully this latter point is something that listeners will appreciate. We also had a very solid year of bookings, with backlog growing 17% year over year despite absorbing $80 million of enhanced view deferred burn down. In Earth Intelligence, we had key wins and deepened our relationship with the most discriminating and innovative customers in the world, including the National Reconnaissance Office, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Space Force, Department of Homeland Security, ESRI, HERE, Toyota, and key U.S. allies. Of note, we recently expanded our relationship with a large technology company by adding a multi-year contract, including for Maxar's 3D elevation data, in addition to a renewal for our on-demand imagery subscription services. Finally, in Earth Intelligence, Vricon was awarded phase two of the U.S. Army's One World Terrain prototype contract worth $39.3 million, which puts our 3D products on firm footing for growth as we move into 2021 with $50 million of recent awards that we expect to convert into revenue this year for 3D capabilities. In space infrastructure, we booked six new GeoComSat awards and several civil programs, including development work for NASA's human landing system, where we're partnered with Dynetics. 
Also in 2020, we acquired the 50% of 3D software and data provider Rikon that we didn't already own. As a reminder, we believe Rikon is the global leader in satellite-derived 3D data for defense and intelligence markets, which the data is focused on 3D mapping, Earth observation, accelerating 5G infrastructure planning, precision-guided munitions, military simulation and training, and increasingly, the emerging needs for GPS-denied navigation. We initially invested in and then later purchased the company outright because of its strength in the defense and intel markets. However, I'm also pleased to report today that we have recently acquired licensing rights to the underlying intellectual property of Brycon for the consumer and commercial markets as well. It's early days, but the addition of these addressable markets further enhances our confidence in the long-term growth outlook for Brycon's capabilities. And finally, we closed on the MDA divestiture back in April. That transaction put our balance sheet on firmer footing as proceeds were used to reduce indebtedness. And to say the least, it was a busy year, and we made solid progress toward achieving our longer-term goals. I'd like to thank all MAXR team members for their diligence and resilience in 2020, and I look forward to better things to come in 2021 and beyond. you please turn to slide five. As we shift into the new year, our priorities will look pretty familiar to most of you. Our top priority is to win in Earth intelligence and position the segment for sustained growth moving forward. This means we'll be focused on launching the Legion Constellation, successfully competing for the next iteration of the Enhanced View program, and continuing to make investments in 3D, artificial intelligence and machine learning, our platforms, products, and capabilities that accelerate sensor to decision timelines. On Legion, we remain on track for a September launch window for our first launch. And as I mentioned above, we already have $50 million of awards for 3D and Brycon products. Our second priority this year is to continue to establish a firm foundation for growth at space infrastructure. This means we'll be focused on driving diversified bookings so that we achieve our target goal for revenue mix of a third commercial, a third civil, and a third military and intelligence. We've made some nice progress over the past two years, especially with NASA, science and exploration missions, but there's still more work to be done. We'll also be focused on solid execution. Producing spacecraft is a challenging task on a good day, but it's been made more difficult with COVID protocols. It's going to take another year of focused effort to drive us toward our 10% plus adjusted EBITDA margin targets, but we're on the right path. And lastly, we plan to continue to make investments in technologies and in systems that will allow us to effectively compete for and win the most demanding commercial and government programs. Our third big priority this year is to maintain the financial flexibility that we'll need to grow the business over time. We'll be focused on driving cash flow and deploying capital in a disciplined fashion. And of course, we'll, make, we'll remain focused on reducing our goal, or uh, remain focused on our goal of reducing debt and leverage. I'd like to now ask you to turn to slide six. We have a robust pipeline of diversified opportunities. In space infrastructure, demand for space systems and architectures is growing across both commercial and government markets. And there are several opportunities in the civil market for, for exploration and earth science missions. In earth intelligence, we see growing demand for data and analytics, particularly with our government customers. And the Legion Constellation will be a key enabler in meeting our customers' needs. All told, we see in excess of $25 billion in pipeline opportunities over the next five years, 
which compares quite favorably with the $1.9 billion of orders we booked this year. We're confident about the growth trajectory of the company in the years ahead, and Biggs is going to provide an update on our long-term targets in a minute. Now, please turn to slide seven. As I've mentioned several times now, Maxar is well aligned with the national defense strategy across multiple disciplines, including space and cyber, ISR, missile defense, joint lethality, forward force resilience, and autonomous systems. What I'd like to do today is double-click a bit more on all of this. We're excited about the difficult technology problems we're helping to solve, and that will help our nation maintain its competitive advantage over near-peer threats in the future. Please turn to slide eight, which demonstrates the multiple domains in which the U.S. military operates and where Maxar is helping to address the complexity of the battlefield. From space assets to ground infrastructure to analytics solutions, we are well positioned. And we're currently supporting multiple customers and programs that are developing new technologies and capabilities for tomorrow's conflicts, including the Army's Titan program and Project Convergence, USDI's Project Maven, Air Force's Advanced Battle Management System, and the Navy's Overmatch program. All of these programs are at or near the center of the government's efforts to develop systems and capabilities to support joint all-domain operations and joint all-domain command and control across varied branches of the military. Please turn to slide nine. One of the key goals of these investments by the government is to achieve an advantage on the battlefield by shortening the sensor-to-shooter timeline from space, which is all about seeing, identifying, targeting, and prosecuting dynamic targets at scale and at distance. Ultimately, DOD is driving to combine broad area surveillance and automatic target recognition to support long-range precision fires at speeds required on future battlefields. Today, most current sensor-to-shooter timelines are measured in hours. We believe the breadth of our coverage and the quality and accuracy of our imagery and our software processing capabilities are key enablers for dramatically reducing these timelines, particularly given that our data is AI and machine learning ready. For example, in a recent exercise, we were able to collect, download, and process data at high velocity in theater, and then in a matter of seconds, both geo-register that data using Brycon's P3DR technology and inference it using our machine learning algorithms, all in one seamless workflow. We're really excited about being able to provide these valuable capabilities and are driving hard in this area. The recent One World Terrain Award I mentioned earlier and the Remote Ground Terminal Award I mentioned on our third quarter call, both with the Army, are solid proof points of our traction with customers. Please turn to slide 10. Importantly, Maxar is uniquely positioned to assist in these and broader DOD efforts with capabilities across ISR systems, processing architectures, 3D modeling and simulation, advanced algorithm, algorithms, systems engineering, and intelligent product generation. In our view, we're at the right place at the right time to help our customers solve many of the tough problems at the center of the national defense strategy. And we are confident that this will in turn drive long-term growth for the company and returns for our investors. We're also confident that our growth and capabilities aren't limited to defense and intel, and we're expanding our market opportunities, like with the expanded Brycon intellectual property rights for autonomous navigation, gaming, and other commercial applications. I'm tremendously excited about our future here. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Biggs for a review of the financials, including our outlook for 2021 and beyond. Thanks, Dan. Uh, please turn to slide 11.
where we present year-over-year comparisons for the fourth quarter. <clears throat> Our net loss from continuing operations for Q4 was $52 million, and for the year, $46 million, driven primarily by the $33 million write-off of a remaining prepaid asset from a prior contract with a commercial provider of ground station services as we executed a new multi-year contract with more favorable terms. Revenue increased 14% for the quarter and 3% for the full year. Without the effects of the enhanced view contract deferred revenue burnoff, total company revenues increased 23% quarter over quarter, driven by recent wins in space infrastructure. Without the effects of the deferred revenue, adjusted EBITDA grew 36% quarter over quarter, that came in a little below the middle of our range due to higher than expected stock comp expense given the performance of our shares during the quarter and the slip of a contract in Earth Intelligence that was signed in early 2021. You may recall that we raised our guidance after the second quarter. On a full year basis, without the effects of the EV deferred, total company revenues increased 6% and adjusted bit draw grew 16%. Please turn to slide 12, where I would like to provide a little more background on stock comp and other expenses incurred during the year. For the full year 2020, stock comp increased 43 million from 20 million for 2019. Much of this increase was expected given the cadence of prior awards that caused a full loading of our three-year vesting schedule to hit expense this year versus only two years in 2019. However, share performance did drive roughly $7 million of additional expense versus our expectations, given the strong finish to the year. Moving forward, we expect our annual stock-based compensation to be roughly $36 million, subject to share performance. Additionally, we incurred $27 million in COVID-19-related EAC growth due to our operating posture at space from structure for the full year, including supplier delays and increased labor hours. While the COVID posture continues to impact costs and schedules versus a normalized operating environment, it is, a, it is to a lesser degree at this point that we do not expect to experience incremental cost growth like this again in 2021. Please turn to slide 13. Earth intelligence revenues decreased 10% for the quarter and was roughly flat for the year. Earth intelligence revenue increased 1% year over year without the effects of the EV deferred in the fourth quarter, while adjusted EBITDA margins declined, driven largely by the timing of joint venture income in the fourth quarter of 2019, which made for a tough comp. Recall we recorded Vricon net income and our adjusted EBITDA without recognizing any revenue until their results were consolidated into our financials after acquisition in the third quarter of 2020. On a full year basis, Without the effect of EV deferred, revenue increased 4% year-over-year, driven by growth in services, international customers, and the Vricon acquisition, while margins declined modestly, driven largely by the JV income dynamic I just described. Please turn to slide 14. Turnaround at space infrastructure continued into the fourth quarter, driven by recent commercial and U.S. government awards, reflecting progress on our diversification strategy. Revenue increased 46% year-over-year, while margins expanded 1,800 basis points, given several charges recorded in the year-ago period and higher levels of profitability on recent awards. Of note, this marks the third consecutive quarter with adjusted EBITDA margins in the 6% range, 
driven by the execution on recent wins, partially offset by higher SG&A expenses, including stock-based compensation. And it is worth noting that despite the $27 million in COVID-related charges we took in the first three quarters of 2020, space infrastructure finished the year right around break-even, with revenue above guidance, while adjusted EBITDA was roughly in line. Please turn to slide 15. The company generated $62 million in operating cash flow for continuing operations in the fourth quarter and invested $84 million in capex and developed intangibles. Full year free cash consumption of $65 million exceeded the midpoint of the upper revised guidance we issued in our third quarter call given favorable timing of cash collections and capex that came in at the lower end of our guidance. The outperformance in 2020 is going to come in part at the expense of 2021, the details of which I'll cover in a moment during the discussion on guidance. Please turn to slide 16. We had roughly 496 million liquidity at the end of the fiscal year, and our bank-defined leverage ratio ended the year at approximately 4.3 times, compared to our covenant of seven and a half times. As a reminder, we have no significant maturities due until 2023. And now please turn to slide 17 for discussion of 2021 guidance. We expect Earth Intelligence revenue to be in a range of 1.05 to 1.095 billion, which translates into 5% to 9% growth without the effect of EV deferred, driven primarily by product growth and the inclusion of RICON. We expect revenue as space infrastructure to be in a range of 800 to 835 million, a growth of 11 to 16% driven by the solid booking growth we experienced in 2020. Intersegment elimination is expected to be roughly 45 million. We expect Earth Intelligence adjusted EBITDA to be in a range of 440 million to 470 million, which translates to growth of 5% at the midpoint without the effects of EV deferred, driven by the revenue growth I mentioned earlier, offset by cost growth related to the Legion Constellation as we continue investments in our ground and secure operations architectures. We expect adjusted EBITDA space infrastructure to be in a range of 75 to 95 million, up from roughly break-even in 2020 as we execute on our backlog. Please note the space infrastructure adjusted EBITDA guidance excludes any potential impact from recent events related to Sirius XM's Sirius XM7 satellite. Intersegment eliminations are expected to decrease to roughly 16 million in 2021 as a Legion Constellation work completes. Corporate and other expenses are expected to increase to 80 million, reflecting increased investment in corporate level system engineering and marketing expense. Additionally, we've reallocated approximately 4 million in marketing spend from Earth Intelligence to corporate, among our additional expenses related to investments in our mission architecture capabilities. We expect our just EBITDA results to grow in the second half over the first half in 2021, with the first quarter being the lowest. The midpoint of our operating cash flow reflects growth year over year, while CapEx is expected to decline in 2020. As I mentioned earlier, we are performed on our expectations for free cash flow in 2020, so some of that has come at the expense of this year, as the beat was driven largely by timing. But even after considering that, the midpoint of our guidance has us 
free cash flow positive in 2021. Equally important, as I'll discuss in a couple of slides, we are more positive on our long-term cash flow outlook. Please turn to slide 18 for a refresh of our 2023 targets. We see a path towards five, up to 580 million in adjusted EBITDA by 2023, an increase of 40 million from what we previously described in our 2022-2023 target. Without the inclusion of the EV deferred revenue, we ended 2020 with roughly 340 million in adjusted EBITDA. Space infrastructure adjusted EBITDA is expected to grow by 95 million. Includes a 25 million reduction in intersegment eliminations as space infrastructure replaces intercompany work or OVU Legion with third party billings. We expect this growth to be driven by solid execution on new awards and the roll off of non recurring COVID 19 related EAC growth, EAC growth and losses on the large development bill that we've spoken of in the past. Additionally, we also expect the business to grow organically as we continue our diversification strategy across commercial, national, and civil customers. Earth Intelligence, we expect growth to be driven by Legion capacity and our product and service offerings, particularly in the area of 3D. Corporate expenses are expected to increase 20 million from 2020 levels, but at roughly 80 million in total, in line with what I just gave as guidance for 2021. We made significant progress in 2020, and we're well positioned for the future as we continue to drive our business towards significant adjusted EBITDA growth. Please turn to slide 19. For our 2023 free cash flow targets, we expect to see total free cash flow growth of up to 390 million. The majority of this will come from earnings growth and a reduction in capex spend as we complete the Legion constellation and move towards a normalized CapEx spend of roughly 100 million by 2023. We also expect interest savings of 70 million as we reduce our leverage. And with that, I'd like to hand the call back over to Dan before we go to Q&A. Thanks, Biggs. Please turn to slide 20. You've heard me present this slide over the past two years, so I won't belabor it. But I do think it's an important reminder that we've been on a journey here at Maxar. In 2019 and 2020, we were focused on cleaning up the balance sheet, re-engineering space infrastructure, and recovering from the on-orbit failure of the World V4 satellite. As 2021 begins, we remain focused on revenue, profit, and cash flow growth. We'll also be looking to accelerate financial performance and further optimize our capital structure. In my view, this narrative and playbook remains as intact today as the day we introduced it to our investors a couple of years ago. With that, I'd like to hand the call over to the operator for your questions. Operator, please open the lines. Thank you. As a reminder to ask a question, you'll need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by. We compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Kenneth Herbert from Canaccord. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks. Good afternoon. Hey, Kenneth. Good afternoon. Hey, thanks, Dan. Hey, I just wanted to first ask if you could, um, can you talk about the the sort of your bid pipeline and what we should expect uh, on the infrastructure side in, in 21 in terms of order activity um, off of obviously the really strong backlog growth you saw in 20? 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the first thing I'd say is uh, we are continuing to diversify. So it's not just looking at the geoconcept market anymore, but we're looking at a range of different programs across both civil and defense and intelligence as well. Uh, we do currently expect the geoconcept market to be about flattish, uh, but we'll be looking to get our fair share of those awards. Um, there are some LEO opportunities out there, and we're watching those and engage closely uh, in advance with engineering studies and that sort of thing. And uh, we continue to work with civil agencies like NASA that would, you know, I guess I'd point you to the HLS as a good example of down select when that occurs, uh, where we're partnered with Genetics and other work like Artemis that we're doing with NASA out there. So, you know, uh, timelines and budgets are always, uh, uh, you know, something to be watched with the larger programs. But we're pretty, pretty confident about the way things are looking. Uh, with defense and intel, we're still, you know, we're still kind of early innings there. Um, and it's a multi-year journey that we're on. Um, we do expect to gain programs over time. And uh, we've, we've been upgrading our talent to be able to tackle those. So, you know, overall pretty good. Uh, I think, uh, you know, in terms of backlog numbers this year, we've got already 90% of, of backlog for our space infrastructure programs. That's a pretty good number to be heading into the year. Uh, as we as we get awards and get wins, uh, that'll help cash flow throughout the year there, too. Okay, great. And if I just could, on enhanced view and, and the recompete, uh, what does the guidance uh, assume or imply in terms of contribution uh, this year, obviously, I know most of it's baked in, but but how do we think about that of the recompete, and how are you viewing um, viewing that that probability now on that contract? Why don't I talk about the contract first, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Biggs to talk about the uh, you know how how it matches into our guidance, uh, particularly the longer term uh, range plans and stuff. But um, as as you know, and we've discussed before, NRO gave us a one year study contract in June of 2019 that we completed uh, in 2020. Um, the government renewed, as they you know, have done on schedule in every other year, the Enhanced View contract in September. Um, at this point, we, we do expect, as they've told us, that prior to September 21, uh, we'll be entering into a new government, uh, but that's part of a larger process for uh, expanding the use of geospatial data. Um, and so you know, we'll be watching that really closely. If, um, if that doesn't happen, then the default is that uh, this year we would, we would, as we've done every other year, would expect to renew the contract in September at the current terms and conditions. Um, you know, we believe we're really well positioned, particularly given our performance over the past two decades and the investment we're making in Legion and that architecture coming online and uh, the way we've been partnering with the U.S. government. So we're really excited about where the trend lines are there, uh, what the customer needs are, and what we're able to provide. In, in terms of uh, what that means, in terms of guidance, I think that uh, uh, we've always said we, ex you know, we expect uh, the customer's commitment to commercial energy to grow, uh, not to decline, and that for our position in that uh, overall growing pie to be very strong. Uh, we haven't gotten more definitive than that, and I don't think it makes sense to start to put discrete numbers around that for, you know, 21 or out, all the way out to 23, except to say that we still very good, we still feel very good about our position. Great, thank you very much. I'll pass it back there. Thanks, Ken. Your next question comes from line of Carter Copeland from Milius Research. Your line is open. Hey, thanks a lot for the time. Um, just a couple of quick questions on on uh, one on the Vicon. Acquisition, I, I must admit, I, I didn't realize you didn't own that IP yet, but the consumer portion of the IP purchase uh, there, and I wondered if you could just give us some color on what you see from an opportunity standpoint as a part of that, and if there's anything else to acquire there, or if now you've, you've got all those 
uh, those interests at this point. Yeah, uh, well, first off, uh, we, we're really excited about it. We built the business case up on the, the defense and intel products and uh, uh, recently obtained the license rights uh, to both the consumer and, and commercial markets as well. So we're really excited about that. Um, we think it does open up uh, just a whole other set of market opportunities for us. Um, I'm not going to be too specific yet. Uh, we're still, you know, a little a little newer and working through all of our go-to-market uh, strategy for products in those areas. But things like gaming, uh, virtual reality, and autonomous autonomous vehicles are on the table now. And uh, we're we're really uh, we think there's some nice confluence between the work we've been doing with the Department of Defense and uh, the USDI in those areas, and where we might take commercial and consumer applications as well. So we're yeah we're really excited about it. We're really excited about the traction we're seeing and uh, initial discussions we're having with people. Okay, great. And um, just with respect, Biggs, to the 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 longer term cash flow guidance, it looks like a there's, there's a lower capex assumption in there. And obviously, the comment was around uh, finishing Legion and getting to a normal run rate. But what, what is there something in there that moved that we should be aware of? No, the uh, uh, I think that uh, the story is pretty consistent as we told it previously. Uh, we did present things in a little different fashion to make it clear, you know, where interest savings were and where capex savings were, and try to make it clear between you know capitalized interest versus just pure cash interest. So I don't know if that's creating any confusion trying to walk forth from the old slice of this one, but. Uh, the 180 million is is very much made up of legion and legion related capex. And when I say legion related, it's because uh, in 2020 we were spending on uh, ground infrastructure, uh, also spending on interoperability uh, with the customer, and, uh, and so there was more spend than just uh, the 600 roughly million uh, legion uh, capex program. Uh, but the uh, the expectations here are still very much as, as they have been. It will be uh, driving down uh, over the next few years. Okay. And with respect to that, that that builds in the existing constellation. Should you expand, you know, obviously we re we'd revisit that number. Yes, this doesn't assume we're building any additional legions in this time period. Uh, okay. That would, you know, be, if the customer, you know, wanted that, then we obviously have to uh, consider that, but uh, this assumes just a constellation. All right. That's a high-class problem. Thanks very much for the time, guys. Thanks, Carter. Your next question comes from the line of Robert Springer from Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Hey, Robert. Um, hey, Rob. Biggs, just on that 2023 uh, cash flow number, I, I want to make sure I follow. Um, because I, I guess it's, it's you know, $135 million above the old guide. And you said that some of that is CapEx, some of that's interest expense. Is the rest – how do we think about the rest of it? Some of it's uh, Rikon, I imagine. What else is in there? Well, uh, I think some of it was just conservatism that we had before. Uh, we okay. We could probably do better than what we put out there. Uh, when we first gave the guidance out, you know, for what was three years out for the future before. Uh, and, you know, but Vricon is a part of this, having, you know, a little bit of better visibility into each element of the business. And 
seeing you know what is a reasonable cash flow uh, expectation off of that. Uh, the uh, uh, so uh, I don't think I, I wouldn't say we're being you know aggressive in this. I think we maybe were. Mm -hmm. Well, we held some back before rather than you know be too forward leaning because it's the first time we're going forward with it. Sure. Okay, um, Dan. On that, uh, just timing on Legion uh, Tranche Two. I just want to get a good idea where we are on Tranche One and then Tranche Two, and then Bigs. How much Legion sell through is in your 2023 EBITDA and cash flow numbers? Is that selling all six satellites uh, fully, or how do we think about that? You want to take that one first, Bigs, and then I'll give I'll, I'll give. Yeah. It. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I know you've asked the question before implicitly. You know how much excess capacity is there out there, and we've we've declined to, to answer it as fully as you would like. And I just say, you know, one of the problems with answering the question is, I mean, not all capacity is created equal, and so sure, you, know, you can always have some some capacity uh, in areas that aren't in higher demand. Uh, irrespective of what's happening elsewhere, but you know we are going to have significant capacity lesion. But you always have to think of it too in terms of it's not just about the imagery; it's everything else that that imagery drives. And so, uh, capacity to generate revenue from legion isn't solely determined just by the, the amount of imagery we can sell off of it, but also what it enables and everything else in terms of uh, the products more traditionally we deliver and also all of the 3D products and all the analysis associated uh, with, uh, with imagery. So it's, it's more open-ended than you might think based upon just the number of passes and, and revisits around, uh, around the world from, from the six uh, you know, satellite constellations. So that's the reason we, we're not being specific, but we don't expect to stop growing in uh, 23 uh, on, on any kind of assumption that we're tapped out in terms of our ability to continue to grow revenue off of the assets that we would have in place. Okay. Thank, thanks, thanks. So, Rob, so Rob, yeah, speaking of those assets, I was, uh, you remember we toured that, toured that Meta Lab area um, last mm -hmm. year about this time at the Investor Day. Um, I was just out there with uh, our team two weeks ago. Um, they're beautiful. Uh, they're looking good. You, you, too bad we can't get you out there right now with COVID protocols and everything to take a look, but satellites are really coming along. Uh, we are still on track for the first two uh, in the September uh, launch window, uh, so we're excited about that, and the, the company's all geared up and moving towards that uh, that time frame. Um, on the next four, which will be the second launch, those will be the ones that go into mid-inclination orbit. Uh, we're, we're just now starting to work with SpaceX on what the launch windows look like, and I think on the last call I said we'd be expecting to launch those on the order of three to six months after the first th uh, two go up. Uh, so we're probably looking, you know, very early part of uh, 2022 right now uh, would be my guess. But, you know, the complex program will continue to work with uh, SpaceX on the launch windows and everything else to get those lined up for that. Okay. And then just as a last question, this has to do with EI. And I just wanted to revisit uh, that business and get the latest on the breakdown between the imagery business and the analytics business, you know, how those are both trending. Um, and then a follow-up question to that is that there are some other players, um, smaller competitors perhaps, that are starting to accelerate their growth trajectory and trying to compete, I think, you know, with Maxar and maybe some others on, on imagery and analytics. 
through lower cost offerings and maybe higher revisit rates or they may claim higher revisit rates. Do you see that? How do you see this competition that's starting to show up out there? Yeah, I guess what I'd say is we, you know, we've got great trend lines. We've got great traction with our customers. And I think the wins we had in the performance we did this year, even during a, a COVID environment when we were capacity constrained and limited waiting for the Legion Constellation is a pretty good testament to that. Um, and, and we've made, made great gains on, on each of the analytics as well as the imagery fronts. Um, and, and they're coming, they're becoming more seamlessly intertwined as we, we keep moving forward. And the reason I say part of that is because the data that's coming off the birds is, is now, we've got some blogs out today on this topic as well, but, but it's uh, analyst ready, it's AI, it's machine learning ready. And so that kind of seamlessly transitions into the type of software you run on this, the type of algorithms. If you're doing a, an artificial intelligence environment, whether that goes right into a convolutional neural network or something else. So that's, that's pretty exciting for us. Um, and, and I think the Vricon capabilities only, you know, really supercharge that for us. Um, in terms of, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, are the, two, are the two areas growing in parallel, or would you say analytics is outgrowing imagery or the other way around? Right now, analytics and software are outgrowing imagery, and most of that's due to the fact that we lost World V4 and we're capacity constrained. I think that probably changes, you know, when Legion becomes operable uh, towards the end of the year here. Um, and, you know, that kind of flips into uh, a lot of capacity that we can then, you know, because we're doubling our, our, our NEARS 5 and our NEARS 5.5 capacity there. Um, okay. So, that, you know, we'll uh, kind of the back and forth there. You know, on the others, um, I, I kind of, I don't like to make specific comments about, you know, anybody in particular. I, I guess maybe a couple of points I'd make, though, are that it's not exactly new entrants. They've been around for, you know, almost a decade now, some of them. So we're, we're aware of them. We're aware of their capabilities. Uh, we've had good traction with our customer sets. And, we, look, we think it's it's all to the positive that uh, that there are other companies out there uh, that are continuing to, you know, it's a growing market. I think that's testament to this. Maxar has been the leading commercial provider of geospatial data and analytics. We've competed successfully with the, the advanced technologies we have, and you know we think it's good for the industry that uh, there is competition. A strong competitive environment drives you know technology gains and innovation and lower costs for consumers. So we're all we're all the more for that, and uh, you know welcome welcome those who are who are here, uh, those who might get in and otherwise. Okay, thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Rob. Your next question comes from the line of Thanos Mochopoulos from BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, Dan, can you talk about the uh, pipeline for uh, Legion and how um, you're seeing that evolve? Um, I realize that most of the selling happens once they're in space, but just in terms of the, the pipeline or some of the pre-selling activity, has, has some of that been impeded whether to the pandemic or on the flip side, is it being held by the current you know, geopolitical dynamic or demand environment? What are you seeing in that front? Hey, Thanos, thanks for the question. Yeah, so I think uh, it's it's kind of a mixed bag on whether we've been helped or hurt by the pandemic. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was uh, doing a signing ceremony with the New Zealanders on some cooperation agreements uh, this week, and that would have taken me, you know, multiple days of travel both ways to try and do something like that. So on the one hand, that it's a little bit easier to do some stuff like that. On the other hand, it is it is more difficult to get in, especially with the classified customers overseas into their defense and intelligence establishments and have the same level of conversation we might have uh, without the ability to travel to some of those locations. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, as you said, uh, there will be some countries and there will be some customers that will 
purchase once the assets, you know, once they can see the data and once it's on orbit. But we're having good early traction with the conversations we're having. Uh, people are really excited and watching the timelines and the progress on the pictures we send them on the Constellation uh, build out really closely. And uh, we're seeing really, really good demand signals and, and customer uptake. Um, some of those because they're, they're, you know, allied nations and they've got pretty uh, discrete programs. We won't be able to announce them. Uh, we'll just be able to you know, kind of talk about what kind of awards we're getting. Um, and we're seeing really strong um, uptake on the commercial side as well. Uh, with the large technology customers, uh, they're very excited about the, the type and quantity and accuracy and revisit rates we're going to provide with the Constellation. Great. And in terms of the uh, margins uh, for Earth Intelligence now, they've offered up a year. Um, just help us understand, I mean, once once the launch happens, is there um, maybe a temporary margin dip because of some incremental OPEX that, that comes on? Or how, how did margins evolve throughout the year for that uh, segment? I'll take that one, Biggs. Uh, I'll take it. Unless we can't hear you if you're talking. My apologies, the line of Biggs has disconnected. Okay, I, I'll take it, and then as big, as big comes back in, or Jason, do you want to take that one? Yeah, what I would say, uh, Thanos, on the margin trajectory, you got to keep in mind that the satellites, you know, are, we're having those, uh, aiming to have those launched in September. Uh, we've talked about um, one or you know, roughly a quarter. Um, to, to, to get the satellites in operation and producing revenue generating kind of data. So I, there's not much baked into 2021 um, with regard to um, margins um, from a linear perspective. Uh, Biggs did mention during his prepared remarks uh, that uh, we do have some incremental costs this year associated with the build out of the infrastructure on the ground for uh, the Legion constellation. Uh, so we do have some extra costs uh, this year, and as uh, the Legion capacity comes online, we begin generating revenue. Uh, that's when you ought to see, you know, uh, incremental margins kind of accelerate as we move into that 22-23 timeframe. Um, as you can imagine, um, you know, the, the margin we, we do expect um, you know, margin expansion um, in the 22-23 timeframe as the Legion constellation comes online and helps uh, offset those increased costs we've uh, absorbing this year. Okay, great. And um, finally, uh, Biggs mentioned that the space infrastructure guidance doesn't contemplate, um, I forget the exact wording, but potential costs or potential implications of a serious XM7 failure. So just help us understand that. I mean, are there any um, potential costs? Um, I, I, I presume you're still in the course of um, identifying the root cause, so there might be nothing to report at this point, but what would the potential exposure be, if any? Yeah, we don't, and we don't have anything uh, uh, to report on the continued troubleshooting work uh, we're, we're doing uh, with the satellite and with the customer. Um, we did, uh, and I, I know you guys probably haven't had a chance to go through. We've got some pretty extensive disclosure in our 10K on this. Um, uh, as of December uh, 31st, 2020, uh, we had 15 million in unbilled receivables and uh, 14 million in, in collectible in-orbit uh, uh, payments or receivables that are over the orbit life of 15 years. So that, that you know, $29 million there. And then uh, we've also got, uh, so we're exposed to some liquidated damage, damages that haven't previously been accrued um, of up to $9 million. So um, I think what I'd like to remind everyone is, uh, you know, 
satellites are, uh, it's a hard business. Um, we're continuing to work on this one and we're going to do our best to uh, get it to be as you know, performant or back to specifications as we can. Uh, we do have 90 uh, Maxar built satellites on orbit and they're operating to their expected lives and we really pr pr pride ourselves on the quality of our products. So we'll be looking for any learnings we can get from this and focus that on producing the next 90 spacecraft with the same type of reliability uh, we're known and our customers know, know us uh, for. Great, thanks, Ben. That's one. Thanks, Ben. And Dan, this You're is Biggs. My line was dropped, but I am back. Biggs is in Texas. We're not sure how, how the storms are still going, but I think <laughs> it's, it's pretty warm here now, I think. <laughs> I don't know what caused this one. Your next question comes from the line of Chris Quillity from Quillity Analytics. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. Just did a, a follow-up on that uh, SXM-7 satellite uh, since number eight is a twin of that satellite and still on the production line. Is there a possibility that we could get some other EAC charges if you determine that there was some kind of a uh, intrinsic fault with seven that's going to need to be corrected with eight? Uh, we, you know, we're working with the customer to get eight up as quickly as possible. Uh, it's part of the resiliency of their their network, and uh, we we do expect to you know launch that uh, as soon as we're able to here. Um, in terms okay. of additional charges, Biggs, do you want to handle that piece of it? Yeah, at, at this point in time, we don't expect anything. We're obviously you know focused on uh, on seven and all the analysis there, and, and doing what we can. Uh, making it, uh, you know, optimized and, and operational. Um, so I, I uh, think that, you know, things will always unfold, but don't expect anything significant to happen with respect to a um, cost standpoint. Okay. Um, and a, a follow-up on the question about Brycon and the uh, commercial consumer rights, was that something that, Saab had done anything with? Did they have any pre-existing business, or was that that rights and those activities simply sitting on the shelf for them unused? Uh, I, I can't go into too much detail on it, just because there's a you know large body of some third-party work here. But uh, some of those rights were uh, with a, a large technology uh, company, and uh, we've we've been able to work with that large technology company to. Um, to acquire full access to the to the to the intellectual property rights there. And so, was there something I'll find in the 10K in terms of the uh, acquisition cost of those assets? Thank you. you want to take that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The, the question is: Is there a, is there a cost associated with the commercial rights? Yeah. Are, are there any disclosures in the 10K which I haven't gotten to about the, the acquisition cost of the commercial rights? There really is is not a discrete acquisition of cost associated with those. We're not capitalizing any additional intangibles uh, as a result of acquiring those uh, as a part of a broader arrangement. No discrete cost associated with the IP. Understand. Um, so excluding the, the Vricon revenue pickup, I guess the Earth Intelligence business was down a couple percent this year. What, what were the uh, primary factors in the, the revenue decrease in 2020? I'm not sure I get to the same 
numbers on decrease. Um, the well, I'm sorry, we should include the... Are you looking just at the last quarter? Sorry. No, I'm saying on a full year basis, if you exclude the, uh, the $8 million contribution from Bricon. Yeah, we can come back. I'm not sure I get to the same data. Why don't you uh, maybe you can do a follow-up with Jason on that using, you know, what will be disclosed. But uh, as we already talked about, or Dan's talked about, it, the, the business is, is otherwise growing. Uh, there is uh, uh, good, you know, good strength in what we're doing from an analytics standpoint. We are a little constrained on the capacity side for imagery. But... Uh, uh, you know, we don't we don't see any real weakness there. There's some timing at the end of the end of the year of uh, things slipping into 21, uh, but other than that, uh, the business is is performing well, particularly in the COVID environment. You know, I think yeah. uh, you know, this was the last quarter, uh, Chris. We had the burn off of that EV deferred revenue, so on a year over year basis uh, from last year, 40 million dollars of non cash deferred revenue, um, which is 100 percent margin. Uh, in the business this is finally gone and off the books. Yeah, and Chris, on a full-year basis, if you look at the bottom of page 13, you'll see the uh, revenue streams uh, without the effect of EV deferred. Um, and I think that'll help you get to, uh, to, to help answer your question. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah I apologize. <laughs> I was thinking you were asking that of the EV deferred, so if I didn't answer uh, on target, I'm, I'm sorry for that. But, yeah, the data is there. No, no problem. Um, so a question, I know you guys don't report uh, revenues in this way, but can you talk about uh, where you, what you used to call your DAP business is both in terms of revenues and number of customers and pipeline as we prepare for Legion? So I think, uh, you know, the last time we did make disclosure, we I don't know, we said a dozen to 14 countries that had those types of facilities. Uh, we continue to see strong uh, traction in the marketplace with both the the direct access facilities themselves, the hardware and the software componentry, as well as the virtual, uh, the rapid access program. So there are some countries now that have virtual solutions for direct access. And increasingly, we're seeing those countries plus other countries come in on the secure watch contracts. So we're seeing sort of a blend of the, the software and the platform and the virtual and the hardware componentry there. Um, that's a great business for us. Uh, it's, it's, it continues to be a great business. It provides us an entree to, you know, the top organizations in those countries to um, to demonstrate not just our capacity for this, the, the satellites and the on-orbit capabilities and the direct tasking features, but also increasingly our software and our 3D-type solutions. So uh, it's good. Uh, it's It's been very, very solid, which is, I think has helped underpin our, our you know, performance. Sometimes it runs a little up and down, uh, ran a little down in COVID when a lot of people had to leave their buildings and couldn't task. And then it, depending on world situations and the threat environment, it runs back up in some areas of the world again faster than others. But um, we're, we're, uh, every one of those customers is, is really looking forward to the Legion Constellation. And we're making upgrades uh, to our software and ground infrastructure to make sure that as the Legion Constellation comes online, we can start the money by flowing on that right away. Great. And uh, final question, and this is, I guess, specific to the Earth Intelligence business. Uh, one of your competitors, Black Sky, filed this back, and, and there's obviously a presentation deck out there. They have, between now and 2023, uh, I think 
hundred million of incremental revenue growth over that time frame. You know, in the last two years, uh, I guess as Maxar has been capacity constrained, you haven't seen uh, I think thirty million dollars of growth. Do you see the marketplace in the next uh, two years uh, growing at, I guess, in excess of two two hundred billion, assuming that there's growth in there for Maxar and other competitors also? Yeah, I think what I'd say is, uh, look, I've, we, we keep very good tabs on everything that's happening in our industry. I've, of course, seen the decks and read them. I won't comment on them uh, other than to say as we think about the marketplace, as we think about our, our track record, our competitive positioning, our uh, the work we do day in and day out with customers, uh, we think the market is growing, uh, and we think that uh, our piece of it uh, is, is factored in uh, very, very well into the numbers that Biggs gave you for our 2021 and, and longer-term 2023 type guidance. So, you know, if, if, if you think about it that way, we've kind of factored in some things, including our capacity, into those numbers, but we're, you know, very confident in, in you know, what we're proposing for. For our numbers, uh, I'm not going to speak to anybody else's. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Okay, operator, we're uh, about out of time here. I'm going to um, thank everybody for joining us uh, today. Um, we've got a um, busy calendar um, with some sell-side conferences uh, in the coming weeks, and we look forward to seeing many of the listeners on the call um, at those conferences and certainly look forward to uh, uh, to returning uh, this time next quarter for a discussion of our first quarter uh first quarter earnings, and we look forward to speaking with you all then. Thanks, and have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.